This time, The Return of Dr. Mysterio. Written by Stephen Moffat, directed by Ed Bazalgette. The way this is going, in a few years, we're going to get The Return of Dr. Mysterio 4, The Quest for Peace. listening to Oi Spaceman, a Doctor Who love story. We're a polyamorous married couple who discuss Doctor Who from a generally progressive, feminist, and social justice-oriented perspective. While we try to be sensitive, we generally don't consider this to be a safe space. Spoilers, naughty language, a general disregard for most things Stephen Moffat, and other adult content are likely found within. And the master is going to have a blonde mullet and a big M on his chest. Uh, it does make sense because they'll just start stripping the clothing off of the female characters instead of giving them actual characterization. And, of course, by then Doctor Who will have been um, sold as a, as a franchise to the re- resuscitated Canon Films Group. So that'll be good. <laughs> That would be that, the that ideal. Joke depends upon knowing that Superman Four was made by Canon. Yes, yes. Oh, sorry, does. everybody. <laughs> we got we got really obscure pretty yeah. quickly. <laughs> and welcome. This is episode I think ninety five. I don't know something like that of Oyster Spaceman, a Doctor Who love story. I'm Daniel. Shana, say hi, Shana. Hi. That's my wife, regular co-host. We keep trying to come back, and I keep finding other things to do. Also here, Jack. Once again, three episodes in a row, because this is how Always Spaceman happens now, is Jack says, hey, I'd like to come on and talk about this. And I say, let's do it. Jack's guy. The the, the guilt motivation works both ways. (laughs) Yeah. Hello, everybody. It's me again. Sorry. (laughs) It's pretty much the only way either of us podcast is someone pokes us and says, like, hey, we should come on and talk about something. Like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. To be fair, I've already talked about, like, the way more current episode with Phil yesterday. So, and that was my first podcast in a while, um, and he kept trying to make me talk about Clara, and I was like, ha ha, no, <laughs> unless you want to watch that episode again and then just talk about it, bring it, and he was like, uh-uh, so, that's my life, how's it going? <laughs> yeah, suggesting to Phil to do a, a podcast episode he isn't actually getting a Patreon money for, it never goes well. <laughs> <laughs> That's only slightly more likely to happen than him ever listening to somebody else's podcast. Yeah, I, I, I to this day believe he has no idea what we do over here. I, I think I think he has a vague a vague sense that like people talk in the microphones and other people listen to it. But I think that's about all he knows about the entirety of anything. Um, it sounds about as much as I know, so accurate. I, I was going to say that's that's enough, isn't it? That's fairly <laughs> pretty much covers it. Yeah, accurate. I mean. That's, that's pretty much all there is to know about podcasting. We just talk, and then uh, I just hit record, and then release it immediately. No, there's no other step that's involved. Yeah. I, I really enjoy listening to Phil's podcasts, because he's so aggressively sort of 
uninterested in the whole podcast format. <laughs> you, can, you can hear the sort of the, the begrudging tone in the voice where he has to do the intro and the outro bits, you know. It, it's, it's quite funny, I think. Oh, oh, yes, I'd better do an introduction, I suppose. Uh, hello, it's me. I suppose, you know, can we start talking now? Yeah, fuck off. That's, I love that. It's, it's very funny. It's like a college class, really. <laughs> I wonder why that is. Mm. Uh-huh. Anyway. anyway, so can can the audience tell that we're not really looking forward to talking about the Return of Dr. Mysterio today? <laughs> five Five months and some change after it aired. We're finally getting around to recording on it. I didn't even watch this one until um, the new series was already airing. Yeah. Well, yeah, same here. I wanted to watch, uh, I think it was the first two had been on, and I wanted to watch them so that I could listen to Phil's podcasts um, and read his reviews, uh, you know, and, and intelligently assess what other people were saying about the, the new episodes as well. So I was like, oh, I better watch the first two episodes of the new series, you know. And I, I, to be fair, I was interested in seeing Bill as well. Just hadn't got around to it. So I downloaded them uh, totally legally, of course. <clears throat> and, um, you know, and then, of course, being a, a nerd, I could not bring myself to just start watching series 10 because I hadn't watched the Christmas special yet. Right. You know, I, the Christmas I, I special weighed heavy on us. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, we could just jump right into Bill, or there's the Christmas special. Yeah. And I did try, I really did try to just make myself start Series 10, and I just couldn't, I just could not do it. You know, and the, I've, this has happened to me before. Let me just put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Fair because enough. More, more than one Christmas special has held up my 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 ability to grapple with a new series that's already underway. <laughs> oh. So yes, well, you, you, five months and change since it was on, it's like a couple of weeks since I saw it. Right. That yeah. Doctor Who life, yo. Yeah. Well, we're, we're such massive fans at this point, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's actually, let's start with you, Jack. Why does this exist? Well, it, it exists because they needed an hour of Doctor Who material um, to put on at prime time on BBC One on Christmas Day 2016 um, in order to get their share of the, you know, the audience at that, that time. That's why it exists. That that is that is the sole purpose of its existence. You know? It is extremely perfunctory. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what it, uh, I guess I guess it's I guess let's go around. Um, I mean, this is very obviously based around the Christopher Reeve Superman movies, uh, which I grew up with, and so I'll admit my first viewing of Return of Doctor Mysterio, I gave it huge credit just because it kind of did bring back the warm and fuzzies of the Christopher Reeve Superman movies. Um, for me, um, so I guess, uh, uh, Shana, what's your experience with those films? Did you grow up with them the way I did? No, not at all. It's really funny because for me, this is like such heresy and I've been holding, like really saying it. I, I don't really care for them. They've always kind of been the cheesy superhero movies that like I look for other superhero movies to build and grow from but not be like. I, I just don't have many warm fuzzies towards them. It's just kind of like, okay, generic superhero. And I saw this and thought very generic superhero. And you were the one who really pointed out like, no, 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 it's more specific Superman. It really is. And I was like, okay, I guess. Yeah, the fact that you're not a fan of the Christopher Reeve Superman movies now makes me think we have to divorce. I know, I know. <laughs> I've been waiting to say it. 
<laughs> this marriage is over. That's it. There is there is couples therapy. You know, you might be able you might be able to work around this. I don't know with some expert intervention. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we'll have to we'll have to figure it. We'll have to figure it out it. Well, we will work through it somehow. Some guidance. Um, yeah. Um. Well, and I mean the the a side thing is that uh, to deal with my November depression, I somehow decided the best thing to do was to watch all of NCIS on Netflix. It was a weird couple month period. Uh, in which I was studying the mainstream American view of patriotism in a whole different way. Uh, and that's honestly more of what I felt in, in watching the superhero episode was very kind of like NCIS, all American hero kind of bullshit. Um, in fact, I had a hard time with the the main female character in this, even remembering her name, because I called her Blonde Ziva, which is a reference to NCIS. Because they recast a character named Ziva with a blonde actress who, she's just implied smart and quirky. She doesn't actually have to be shown being smart and quirky, because it's implied that she is smart and quirky. And so then she just gets to react to things like a child. And I was like, oh, that's what this character is. So, sorry, I, hang on. Did Stephen Moffat write this? Because it sounds right. Right. Actually, if Stephen right. Moffat wrote NCIS, it would be improved dramatically. Improved. No, no, it would be ridiculously similar. You don't even understand. Oh, NCIS oh, let me, is let me, fucking insane. When Shana uh, tells you that she was watching NCIS for three months, <laughs> I would come home from work and she would have watched ten episodes. I was mainlining it like cocaine, okay? It was a new understanding of existence. It was just playing in our house. In a post-apocalyptic America, it suddenly made sense. (laughs) Everyone is misogynist, and we just kind of hug them anyway. Uh, Black is white, and white is black. We're through the looking glass. (laughs) Up is down. Because it's it's Mark Harmon, I like to think that it's the same character from Summer Job. Yes. It's like, you know, he he stopped teaching, substitute teaching, like, English, and then went into the Navy, you know, or like he was undercover at that point or something, you know? That's the only way I could ever get through any of those episodes. Leroy Jethro Gibbs. (sighs) This is the preview for the NCIS podcast we're going to do in 2022. Um, Which which will consist of three attempts at a first episode with different hosts. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) No, that's going to be the one where I just get really drunk in every episode, and it'll be fine. Uh, Sorry, is that not this one? And all your other ones? Yeah, I'm usually fairly sober for for Oi Space Fan. Anything I have to edit, I try to be relatively sober for. You have to listen to yourself. <laughs> yeah, no, that's 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 always annoying. Um, so let's let's get let's pretend to do a topic here, right? Um, <laughs> Jack, general thoughts about the Return of Doctor Mysterio. Also, um, are you a fan of this, the the films? And do you have any like? Did you connect that? And general thoughts about what we've been talking about? I guess. Okay, well, I'm going to completely discredit myself in the in the if I haven't already done that long ago, in the eyes of you know everybody really, uh, and tell you that. I was, as a kid, I was a big fan of, <laughs> I was a big fan of Superman 3, specifically. Oh, I loved Superman 3 as a kid. And Supergirl. Those were the ones I liked. Oh, yeah. I didn't, I didn't like the first two. Like, you know, General Zod and all that. Everybody said, oh, no, I don't like that. As a kid. I mean, I quite like it now. But as a kid, and the first one, I, I barely remember anything about the first one. I mean, is, is Gene Hackman in it? I think, yeah. Gene Hackman is in it, yep. 
Oh, and Marlon Brando's in it, of course, which, of course, you know, as a kid, that makes no impression on you whatsoever. But as an adult watching it, you think, oh, that's Marlon Brando, you know. Um, but no, I loved Superman 3 when I was a kid. I saw that at the movies, and it's got Richard Pryor, and I love Richard Pryor. And it's got Robert Vaughn. I think Robert Vaughn's great. And, of course, it's got the wonderful sort of insane computer sci-fi thing with the woman who gets turned into a Cyberman at the end. And that was so frightening to me at the time, you know, in the movies. It was deliciously frightening. I had wonderful, glorious nightmares about that. You know, I loved it. Um, and it's funny, Superman 3. And Superman 3 has the amazing scene, of course, where, um, you know, Superman gets split into two and they have this big fight in the junkyard. I love that. That's still one of my favorite scenes in all cinema. Um, I think that's Yeah, fantastic. no, that's, that, that made an enormous impression on me as, as a yeah. kid. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and the, uh, the acid, you know, the Superman ends up uh, destroying the computer with uh, with really strong acid, which is always yeah. a, great, yeah. a great moment in cinema history as well. Yeah. and um, Maybe I've and, never even seen it, you know? I, I That's what I'm getting from this conversation so far. I, it registers that little with me. Superman three is uh, a neglected masterpiece. No, it's <laughs> it's it's kind of a terrible movie with amazing things buried within it. Yeah, it's it's a wonderful, terrible movie. It's yeah. one of the great. It's one of the most enjoyable, you know, fun, clever, terrible movies. I think, uh, and I loved Supergirl as well because I loved the villains in Supergirl. I loved yeah. that weird relationships. That is a fucking weird film, Supergirl. <laughs> It, like, the the weird relationships between the characters, between the villain whose name I can't remember and Supergirl, and then her weird relationships with like her her hangers on, one of whom is Peter Cook for God's sake. I mean, you know that that is a bizarre film, but I loved it as a kid. I loved Supergirl. I was in love with Supergirl as a, as a boy. Um, yeah, so like the Reeve films overall, not so much, but those two, of course, Christopher Reeve isn't in Supergirl, but it's kind of like the same series. Yeah, and and I think as you were saying, you know, Doctor Mysterio. It is at least modeling itself on one of the more likable Superman franchises, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, it's just straight up doing the... I mean, I made the Superman 4 reference just because there is, like, Superman and Clark Kent are on a double date with Lois Lane and um, Mariel Hemingway's character. Yeah. And you, I, I, will, I will say this. Moffat does better than Superman 4 at, at that plot. Because it takes up a good yeah. like twenty minutes of Superman four, and it's completely stupid the entire way through. <laughs> I loved it when I was like eight years old and saw it. I'll give it that. Yeah, I'm well, one of the few that saw Superman four in theaters. <laughs> and I think like watching the Doctor Who episode, there's definitely just a feeling of like I, I definitely accept more now that Moffat's Who is a let's try on a genre with each new episode and and see how we can do a Doctor Who this genre, um, and so there was a definitely warm fuzzy superhero Christmas movie feeling to this episode, uh, whether or not I connected it directly to the Superman franchise, but I, I think I don't know I just it it's so. Nothing new. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess I saw it the first time and kind of enjoyed it in that sort of popcorn entertainment way, like in the sense of there was nothing. I mean, okay, there were only a couple of moments that really made me want to throw things at the television. Um, but for yeah, the most part, I sort of just sort of like kind of just it just went yeah. through me like junk food. And ironically, or not ironically, but like we've been trying to record this for three weeks just because we keep having to push it back. I have tried to rewatch this twice and I have fallen asleep watching it twice. 
<laughs> yeah, and it's been hilarious both times I have actually poked him on the couch and been like, you're supposed to be watching this. And he's like, yeah, and rolls yeah. over and goes back to sleep. I'm watching yeah. it, it's fine. I know, yeah, like, you know, the guy with glasses, it's good, don't worry. Yeah. Oh yeah, that, that wonderful thing where you nudge the person who's sort of slumped over and making... Yeah. Noises and they go, no, 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 I, I'm watching it. I wasn't asleep. I was just yeah. resting my eyes. Do you want me to turn it? No, no, no. Yeah. So I get <laughs> you, to watch you, it again? Oh, great. Exa- great. Exactly. You know when that happens that it means you're going to have to watch it again. <laughs> so I've watched this episode quite a few times, I should say. And each time I just said, oh, look, it's Blonziva. I still don't know the character's name, Lucy. There. It's Lucy, yeah. Because I was just, it's another Blonziva. It's just like NCIS, which is not what I want to say when I'm watching Doctor Who. <laughs> well, there is a, there is a thing, and I think we're we are going to start recording episodes. Uh, we're going to start taking the series ten episodes a few at a time and just recording episodes on them. But I, I mean, I think there really is a sense in which Doctor Who has increasingly just kind of felt like generic TV to me. Yeah, and I think that's part of the issue. Is that I mean, Doctor Who for all the things that it does should never just feel like generic tv it, it's weird because it's it's technically accomplished generic tv like the you know one thing Stephen moffat can do is he can he can jiggle you know he can jiggle plots around cleverly you know so the business with you know the double dating and and switching back and forth and you know rushing back and forth to pretend to be the you know i, I was here babysitting all the time and you know that sort of thing that sort of technical manipulation of time and 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 plot you know, he's really, time and he's, relative plot and space. Yeah, get it. Yeah, yeah. Except that it's not bigger on the inside. Um, it's actually smaller yeah, on the inside. It's smaller on the, the inside. That's, there you go. There's, there's no. There's no. There's nothing else now. You there's know, nothing that, inside. It. It's yeah, fine. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I didn't hate it. it. You know, one of the problems, of course, with it is that it's the Christmas special, which means that it's an hour long, and there, you know, there really isn't enough material there for for sixty minutes. There's enough material to make like a fun. 45 minute episode but at 60 minutes even this drags badly in places oh yeah it it absolutely i mean i think that there's the i mean it it runs into this problem to where i feel like what he really wanted to do was to do a 90 minute movie that is sort of the doctor runs into superman yeah and it's it's an origin story movie right well it's it's a here's an origin story but what if the origin story of this superhero was doctor was the doctor and that's a really cool story but that ends up it's never the focus like (laughs) i always think that there is a cool idea in here but um what we end up getting is I, i feel like the structure of the movie is so familiar to superhero movies that i didn't even have to pay attention to it because the structural beats are are so similar to anything Marvel-y or or whatever that you would see now, um, and yeah, that that's a really interesting thing that Moffat can mimic, but it's not where I I care for the the wit to be, I guess. Well, it's sort of it's sort of the same thing that the the Husbands of River Song was, where it's mm-hmm. it's Moffat just kind of going through the motions of doing the thing that he does. You know, like like it's it's just sort of okay. We're gonna throw the doctor into a superhero story, and that's it. That's what he does. Okay, that's fine. I think I think where I was kind of going is that uh, you know it does. We do sort of get the very Doctor Who like aliens, the, mm. uh, the the sort of yeah. invasion fleet, which is um, you know aliens of London. We'll, we'll just pretend nobody's seen aliens of London while we do this. <laughs> that's that's fine. 
Um, we've done, you know, there is a lot of like we've done all this before. That's well, it was it was twelve years ago, so effectively, you know, it doesn't. Oh matter. Jesus! Yeah, I, I mean, I I'm kind of I'm kind of okay with just going. Okay, yeah, it was twelve years ago. People like us are going to remember it, but of course, there are no obsessive Doctor Who fans other than us. So like, nobody else is going to read this. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've kind of done the plot before, but I'm okay with that. And, and I mean, it's sort of clever. It's well, I mean, it's well executed. Uh, but I feel like you just kind of get to, okay, the other clever thing, and I'm trying to say, I'm, I'm saying positive things here. The other clever thing is that it kind of gives the ghost or Grant gets the plot line, which is really, he has to figure a way to talk his way out of the problem where the aliens are standing there and the, you know, the girlfriend is under threat and you know that's a very like doctor like thing to have to do whereas the doctor is in the and now we have to figure out how to uh, get the giant spaceship from crashing into earth which is the sort of thing that hypothetically a superman like character would have been more suited for which i think is a i it feels like at least it's going for something but ultimately it doesn't go anywhere because the story by that point is over so so you just sort of like the the plot ex machina just happens and Grant can just like hold the thing with one hand, and it doesn't explode for some reason. <laughs> yeah, it's a shock absorber, right? And then you get the the magic heterosexuality and and uh, and well, we be yeah. glasses save everything, and then that's well, end, you know. I <laughs> if if I start listening to the the criticism for, of people who are trying to convince me to like Moffat. <laughs> About the third time I was rewatching this while Daniel slept. <laughs> um, I definitely had a moment where it is implied that everything in this world is the way it is because he swallows this magic crystal gem and it gives him his wish. So if you see this as a projection of a little kid's wish of what it's like to grow up and be Superman is... Um, and part of that is getting the girl in just this specific way. And part of that is aping romantic comedies without a huge amount of depth um, or understanding of what that would look like. And therefore, like, there's a little bit of a meta value of why it's cartoony. So you're saying this feels like a world written by someone who's emotionally 12 years old? So what it really was <laughs> making me think of is Daniel and I just watched Fifth Element. And one of the reasons we kept talking about Fifth Element was like, well, but if you look at it as he he wrote the idea for this movie when he was 13 and then grew up and got to make it, uh, that's Fifth Element. And it explains away a lot of the flaws I have with that movie and I can still love it. If I look at this episode through similar glasses and pretend that I'm someone that loves Moffat, I can see what they were going for. Um, it just feels awfully fucking watered down. Even Fifth Element has a bit where, you know, what's he called? The, the Bruce Willis character goes to kiss. Corbin Dallas. Yeah, he goes to kiss her and she says something and it's translated as not without my permission. You know, that's yeah. that's that's already doing better than, than Moffat. <laughs> exactly. Um yeah, yeah. I mean, yes. There's there is the meta reading because literally what happens is he swallows the 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 magic crystal of plotness and yeah. it gives him abilities which he interprets as you know superhero powers because he's the kid that reads comic books. You know, that's in terms of the literal plot. That's what happened in the meta plot, as you as you say. Uh, it's like <clears throat> the the kid is granted the ability to have his adult life pan out like the kind of 
media he enjoys as a 12 year old yeah and that's that's why it, that's why it works that way and then you know as as daniel just pointed out that means basically that the the episode is saying wouldn't it be great and charming and lovely if you know men's lives could be exactly like the immature fantasies they have when they're 12 you know so yes yeah I which mean, is just really reiterating what, what the two saying. of you already that's said really i'm just saying it's like all moffat ever says over and over and over and over and over. Yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, when people defend him on the grounds that, oh, it's fairy tale, you know, yeah, I get that. Um, is that really, is that really where we want, because there's what, there'd be ways of doing fairy tale that didn't necessarily involve <clears throat> taking the concept of the fairy tale so much at face value, you know, as such, you know, because yes, it's fairy tale, I get that. But what seems to be going on here is that it's saying, it's a fairy tale, isn't that great? Because fairy tales are lovely. Yeah, we if we're going to engage so much with that aesthetic, with that fairy tale aesthetic, couldn't we interrogate it a bit more? You know. Yeah. Well, let's. I, I've I've always. He, kind he of does heavy. sometimes. He, you know, there are moments when he does. I don't want to say that he never does, but not enough. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and I think um, for me, if if you're going to revisit something. Uh, even if you're going to revisit the Christopher Reeve Superman movies, revisit with the specific point of revisiting and changing, right? Like, yeah. if I'm going to put my own spin on something, it should be something that you walk away from and say, well, that is a spin on that story I have not seen before, and yet I can still relate it back to the kind of historical conversation of that storyline and and like that's what i see fairy tales are like you know like anything else they're archetypes and i think fairy tale is often used to kind of magic hands away at um whimsical details which like i'm great with those but also like really standard gender binary reinforcement and the cishet romance everything and uh, you know it's I'm just at the point in my life where it's really offensive to think non-binary aromantics can't have a fucking fairy tale existence too. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And to, you know, to swerve away from that a bit, although that's very important, I think. You know, yeah. we we've talked about a certain movie in the past, haven't we, Shana? We've talked about Labyrinth. Mm-hmm. Labyrinth totally adopts and embraces the fairy tale aesthetic the fairy tale mode and it gives you all the charms of that genre all the whimsy and the 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 wit and the irony and the darkness of that of that mode of storytelling but it interrogates it as well you know i mean we talked in our in our shabcast about it about how people misconstrue that film and they 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 you know they imagine um the jennifer connelly character going back you know and she yeah. hooks up with the goblin king and it's like that's the that's the most egregious misunderstanding of that the film that you could possibly have because the film really does interrogate the unhealthiness of that relationship you know so it really does while it's embracing the fairy tale it really does interrogate it as well and i don't think well i mean certainly dr mysterio which is a specific episode we're talking about it doesn't it doesn't get anywhere close to that level of of sophistication and can we just note almost 30 years later? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that that's kind of the thing. I, I, there are, there are similar media that I'm comparing it to that I like. Uh, like I said, Fifth Element, I think your example of Labyrinth really fits too. I like it, those, it's, but it's I expect less... more from something made in 2016. Yeah. 
Yeah, I agree. Labyrinth is pro- probably less pertinent to this particular episode, but to Moffat's approach as a whole, yeah. I think it's a good comparison. Yeah, um, and Fifth, Fifth Element too. I agree. Yeah, this kind of. I mean, going back to the the the, the episodes. I mean, on the one level, the thing the thing that's always said about the Christmas episodes is that they're just trying to be they're just trying to be a bit of fun. They're just trying to be light and frothy, and you know, they're just for Christmas. They're for people who aren't really paying attention because it's Christmas Day, and I get that. Um, the trouble is that, as so so often, you know, it's it's trying to have it both ways, you know, because there are definitely bits in the episode where the episode is trying to tell you that it's saying something about about this this kind of story. Um, so, you know, as ever, you know, commit one way or the other. Just commit to being mm. complete fluff and don't pretend you're saying something. Or if you're going to try to say something in the context of a bit of fun. You know, give it give it some thought. Um, and one of the problems well, I as have if, to... as if fun and thought are are um, diametrically opposed. Yeah, as if yeah, you I'm... can't simultaneously. You know, like uh, Pixar is kind of early Pixar at this point. <laughs> Pixar has really gone downhill. But the idea that you know something like Toy Story or uh, you know Finding Nemo or The Incredibles can't be mm. both sort of thoughtful and interesting and also a lot of fun. The thing is, I think there's an inherent contradiction between the the whole idea of Doctor Who and the big audience-grabbing Christmas Day special. You know, I just think that's an inherent mismatch. Because as much as I've liked some of them, and as much as I do absolutely think Doctor Who should be fun, and, and there's no reason why it can't be fun and thoughtful at the same time, there's something... I, I get the argument, it's the Christmas special, nobody's going to be paying any particular attention, everybody's, you know, drunk or stuffed with turkey or whatever. You know, it's just on in the background while the family are playing a board game. I get that. And I understand why that affects the form and content of Christmas specials. But at the same time, you know, I, I wonder why, why would you bother making that mm-hmm. and making it Doctor Who? I mean, what, Doctor Who doesn't seem to have much business being that, if you know what I mean. Well, and like I try, I, t- I take a step back and I can say there are the vaudevillian-esque aspects of this episode the fact that there is some just really good physical humor there's some very pretty stuff to look at that's the stuff that i kind of associate with christmas specials and i Mm -hmm. think you could do that with something that would be substantive and i don't see why it can't be doctor who um i don't understand why they don't just treat it like any other one shot kind of episode um even though they're like my least favorite villain, it's for some reason the episode I always think of is Blink with um, mm. the, the, the first of the Weeping Angels. Like a, a long form episode like that, where it's kind of standalone, it's a mystery, you don't even really have to give that episode your full attention because it does kind of keep coming back to the point. That's what I would imagine they would do with the Doctor Who Christmas special. Has anybody really done that in a while? Eh. Uh, <laughs> that's probably. in Shana's world of Doctor Who Christmas <laughs> specials. Yeah. Um, Last I, Christmas was probably the closest to that, because yeah. that was quite conceptual in some ways. Honestly, like when I kind of saw the begin- the opening few minutes of this episode, I, you could kind of immediately see what the rest of it was going to be like. I, that's not why I watch TV. And maybe that is why some people do watch stuff like this. And it is fulfilling that quite nicely. <laughs> I don't yet, know. It, it's, it's, it's a weird justification of the Christmas special that amounts basically to 
well, nobody's really watching it, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it's it's cotton candy fluff. It exists to fill a time slot. Why are you, why do you care? To which yeah. the answer is, well, I don't anymore. I'm done. And I'm sounding like a killjoy and I want to make it clear. I don't have any problem with, with Doctor Who being fun. I think it should be fun. And, uh, you know, I don't have any problem with an, with an episode not being, you know, particularly analytical or intellectual or anything like anything like that you know uh, i i just i just i mean you you said it really i mean it it exists to fill a time slot you know and that's not i mean we know that's not necessarily true of a christmas special because there are christmas specials that you know while while not necessarily great stories they're, they're they're more than that i mean i would say last christmas does more than just fill a time slot you know it's not an episode i'm tremendously fond of there's there's lots of problems with it but i think it's it's got more going on in it than this and um you know a very neglected one in my opinion next doctor i you know there's lots don't get me wrong there's lots of problems with that i there's lots of things about it i don't like but it's got you know, I mean, I, I think the Cyber King and all that stuff with like this this gigantic Cyberman that's like made of factory stuff with children stomping all over Victorian London. That's pretty caustic, you know, yeah. and there weren't any complaints on Boxing Day from people who were saying, oh, I was just trying to relax with my mince pies and I was given a, you know, a, a metaphor about the Industrial Revolution. You know, nobody minded. <laughs> and, and that's kind of the thing is like... I- I would prefer that, and and that's kind of where I would go with Christmas specials. I'm not necessarily surprised, though, that this is how Moffat does Christmas specials. There is a certain attitude, I think, and this is why I don't like him. I'll be very straightforward. I wouldn't be Shana if I wasn't. Um, <laughs> the 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 dislike of Moffat has been cleverly hidden through this entire podcast run. Uh, Shane is now going to reveal for the world. <laughs> the, the subtext is about to become text. P.S. He's a fucker. Um, no, I I feel like you can very much tell in his writing when he feels like this is an easy story to write. Um, there there is a feeling of like I'm writing this and I'm just kind of brushing it off. Um, oh, like I mean, Mysterio. That just that. I mean, that stank of you know phoning it in, doing it on almost yeah. on autopilot to me. And and you know, the, it, it on bad days it pisses me off. Watching this episode, I was just kind of like, okay. I I mean, like I I expected no better or worse, um, and that's about as much as I got. Mm. It was. It's a. It's a shiny thing. I'm looking back on it a bit more charitably now, just because I think I've watched some of Bill's episodes, and I'm kind of getting into Bill and and you know against my will, um, Nardole is growing on me, and so now I'm not as pissed about the Christmas special because there are other episodes, and I'm like, well, at least it's gotten better for Shana's. Yeah, it, I, I yeah I didn't hate it. I mean. Th- yeah. I like I like the performances. I think the two guest leads are, are, are quite nice, and yeah, it it was it was it was inoffensive for the most part. I mean, there's 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 almost textbook sort of Moffat stuff in there, you know, about relationships. It was not and... surprisingly offensive. It exactly. was predictably offensive. Yeah, it, it, it's it the does... usual Moffat stuff again. Yeah. It, um, it does and the, the blow has been softened because it's the fortieth time we've seen it, and it's yes. not the worst example of the usual Moffat stuff. So yes, exactly. Yeah. 
I must say one of the things I appreciated was it did the Amy Rory relationship and just did it in fifteen minutes, so it was just <laughs> over. it was fine. I said, like, right. "Wow, I don't, I don't, I don't have to sit through this for two and a half seasons." Great. It didn't ask us to pretend that Amy is in any sense, uh, you know, the Amy stand-in is in any sense a fleshed-out character with like oh, abandonment no. issues or. She was just know. a cool diva. Yeah, yeah. Just fill her in. It's a blonde Ziva now. Okay, sure. That's right. There's no point at which the episode asks us to pretend that she's traumatized about something that happens off screen, you know? (laughs) God forbid, you know, she's a single mother. There's nothing wrong in her life. There's my my favorite bit about you know and just the just the clear the, the best oh. thing about it is the fact that you know our our female badass reporter investigative person the Lois Lane archetype mm. is the fourth lead in this episode. Oh yeah, the blonde yeah. Ziva is it should be the most interesting character, but she's she's just the blonde Ziva and. And we have the doctor basically saying, like, dude, you just friend-zoned yourself Um, (laughs) at one point. And I was just like, I I can't even be mad at it because I'm just like, yeah, sure. I think I I I actually said that at that point when I watched it. I actually sort of I was watching it and I'm pretty sure I muttered to myself under my breath, oh, the doctor's just told him that he's been put in the friend zone. (laughs) (laughs) I, I I have to ask you, Jack, as a British person. Yeah. Right. This is because this is very non-American, but I, I do need to I do need to ask you, just in case. I have two British questions. One: Is the word restroom really that uh, unusual in Britain? And two: Do you refer to women that you've known from the time you were twelve years old by their last name? Well. I don't really know why you're asking me because these characters aren't supposed to be British, are they? Well, I, I, I'm just I'm trying to grade the the show on a curve, as if as if there's a a sense of uh, maybe it's just a blind spot that Moffat has for this. But well, uh, re- re- okay, questions in the order of asking. Restroom. Um, we don't use that term mm-hmm. in this country. Uh, but everybody knows what that means because we all watch American films and American television all the time. You know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, it, it, the joke is that Americans say restroom and British people are confused by it. And all British people itself is like a stereotypical joke. No, I wouldn't say that so much. It's just that that is, that is, that is a thing that comes up in films about British people and American people. Yeah. And most of those films are American films uh, and British people barely do anything but watch American films and American television. So we might not use the term restroom, but we're all familiar with what it means. So despite the fact that we've all seen 100 films where an, where an American says, I'm going to the restroom and a, and a British person goes, huh? you know, if, if somebody says to you, where's the restroom in Britain? You know what they mean. And you just say, oh, it's through there, mate. You know, that's that. Um it's like, you know, we don't use the, the phrase take a rain check in this country. But if somebody says to you, we're going to have to take a rain check, we all know what that means because we've all seen, you know, Superman films and Marvel Comics films and so on and so forth. Um, as for the Mrs. Whatever it was as a term of address for a, a childhood friend, I don't know what the fuck is going on there. I, that is just, <laughs> that's inexplicable to me. I don't know. <laughs> no is the answer. I mean, we, we that don't was do that. that just seemed deeply fucked up to me. Like yeah. so, the restroom thing 
at first I it didn't understand. It's incredibly passive aggressive, to be honest. It's it's really you know I mean we'd say he's in the friend he's in the friend zone. That's like real passive aggressive nice guy I, stuff. To, to to me, this is like clearly Moffat is trying to, and I and I'm sorry to just blame, but Moffat is fucking trying to paint this guy as the single most emasculated human being imaginable. Like it would be one thing if it was just this girl that he admired as an adult and then uh, like the whole you know, thing is he has to self-emasculate around this girl and this is the one girl who he checked out and had to look at because she said hi to him and he couldn't turn off his x-ray vision so he saw her no-no bits mm. and therefore is in love with her for the rest of his life and therefore because he is in love with her will stay with her with his froofy hair and always have the baby monitor in his pocket yeah. clearly that's what it means to be in love with a woman right moffat really has adopted this jk rowling thing where you meet the love of your life when you're both 11 years old and you never look at another person ever for the rest of your life well and, <laughs> and if I, you can't I, marry her you're ruined forever you know ever uh, the, the x-ray vision thing i mean oh god i mean this is a dude I, and i hate to i hate to say this i apologize but this is a dude who literally at the like a superhero who at the end of the at the of the episode is raising another man's child? This man is a cuck, a literal <laughs> cuck. And you know what? If I thought Moffat had any concept of what he was doing, I would applaud that. Okay, <laughs> because to make the cuck the hero is is kind of amazing. But I think he literally just stumbled right into that rake. Oh I, yeah. I don't think there's any sense in which there was a. Uh, don't assume anything in this episode was done on purpose, Daniel. No one watches the Christmas special. That's what the title of this episode should really be. Because, like, honestly, it's the return of Dr. Mysterio, right? And, like, for a while I was like, wait, doesn't that mean that Dr. Mysterio had to have been here once? And then you watch the episode and you're like, oh, right, I see. But, no, it's just... You just, it's all, it's all meta writing. Moffat just has to say, wouldn't it be funny if there was a Superman movie like episode of Doctor Who and then it's a Christmas special so no one really watches it and that's as much as we have to write, you guys. And they're all like, yeah, great idea. Yeah. <laughs> and then it that, ends. That's, that's I mean, better it, it, than what we got. <laughs> so I, I actually, I actually think I've always, ever since I first started watching Doctor Who, I've, I've always kind of felt like there's this kind of genetic connection between the Superman mythos and the Who mythos in the sense of, you know, they're both aliens. They both are kind of saving people and saving lives and saving planets. And they both have this kind of massive backlog of material that's uh, much of it very, very chintzy and, uh, you know, have, have very problematic things, but are, are sort of trying to be on the side of what's good and right. They both have this, this strong sort of left-wing origin, which then just sort of uh, kind of meanders off into various strange political dimensions. I mean, there's a lot to the uh, this sort of uh, idea Super of kind of Superman doing them together. Was created by a couple of Jews, and Doctor Who was kind of created by a woman and a, a, a gay Muslim, you know. Yep, yep. No, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I mean, and then they're both sort of, I mean, you know, Superman is sort of an adolescent power fantasy, you know, which doesn't really describe Doctor Who, but the Victorian adventure. I mean, there, there's a lot of, there's a really interesting uh, book to be written in 
the uh the, the sort of concept of the way that these uh, two uh narratives and these two characters or franchises are sort of interrelate and the idea of doing them together and not interrogate any of that just infuriates me <laughs> except yeah. i had no expectation that this episode would do any of that so it didn't bother me at all it still doesn't really bother me except um i it bothers me now just in the sense of i'm talking about it and i think it's it's fascinating um but yeah. i had no expectation it would happen so it's kind of like, yeah that's fine of course moffat completely missed the one good idea that he could have had in this of course yeah, and the show dismissed it you, you mentioned he ends up raising another man's kids so you know he's he's a he's a cuck right right of course he isn't because that isn't what cuck means cuck no means, no, no. You know, your, your partner is with somebody else but i know what you mean because that's the sort of that's the sort of analogy that you know horrible people these days you know use and they and the word cuck is associated with things like that you know you're a cuck if you're the kind of man who stands for something like that you know if you will in, invest your money in protecting another man's genes and all that horrible socio-biologistic you know crap that these people come out with um yeah lucy's and- ex was a black man don't you know <laughs> yeah, probably. You know, so he's he's not just he's not just a cuck. You know, he's a race cuck and everything. Yeah. He's probably a Muslim, you know, man. And you know, he's, a Muslim he's, immigrant. He's, he's going to allow her to let the kid be raised as a Muslim. You know, and you know, the ultra race cuck and all that. No, I mean, you know, you know what I mean. Anyway, but Moffat puts that in. You know, now, now at this point in time, 2017, he puts that in. A guy ends up raising another man's child, and as you know, he makes nothing of it whatsoever. Right. Now, okay, you don't have to. You don't have to turn everything into a political metaphor. But, you know, do something. Do something with something here. Like, I mean, I was talking about Superman 3. Superman 3 is a legendarily bad movie. But one of the characters in that is like, um, it's it's, uh, the Lois Lane substitute in that movie. I can't remember her name. She's got like this. That's right. She's, She's got this other guy hanging around apart from Clark Kent. And... That subplot in Superman 3, a legendarily bad movie from like 30 years ago, whatever it is, that's a better commentary on, you know, toxic masculinity. And that that guy actually has a line in Superman 3 where he talks about nice guys. You know, so Superman 3 is doing better than Moffat on this stuff now. You know? I feel like now I want to do a Superman podcast. It's no, we're not. I, I, I'm totally up for doing a Superman. <laughs> I want to do a Superman three bonus commentary with Kit on the you know the RoboCop. <laughs> oh God, I will so show up for that. Oh my um, God! After our return to Oz, so I, I so, just... so I want I want to pitch you a hypothetical, right? Because okay. this this has such a it gets there's a there's a really interesting idea here. Let's interrogate the Doctor. Superman relationship, this mythos, by having the doctor pop back into this kid's life and give him lessons about how he would solve problems. And let's interrogate the 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 differences in like the way that the doctor's powers, quote unquote, are basically I'm clever and I have a time machine, whereas Superman's powers are I can lift heavy things, right? <laughs> um and yet they both have this sort of moral justness and you know like you can imagine the idea that, like, what if the Doctor and Grant were in a conflict at some point? What if there was any kind of sense in which these two characters might not just be hunky-dory with each other? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Could they Could they fight in a junkyard, you know? Yeah, no, that would be better. That would be way more interesting. <laughs> Let's put them in a junkyard, you know? One, one of the mo- more interesting things about Superman is that 
yeah, he's he's kind of this very straight down. I'm not a, I'm not a Superman fan, and I don't have enormous knowledge of the of the story, so I'm probably talking out my ass here, you know. But my impression of Superman is that he's generally characterized as a very sort of straight down the line kind of guy you know he just mm-hmm. he just takes the the straight route every time and of course his power is that he's he's physically really strong he can move really fast he can fly bullets bounce off him stuff like that so what what he tends to do my impression of this anyway is that superman sees a problem and he he walks towards it and the bad guys shoot at him and the bullets bounce off and then he you know hits something until problem solved you know not necessarily a person he might be hitting a machine or something like that or a robot but that's basically what he does um and the fantasy is the fantasy is one of empowerment to do what needs to be done without without anxiety you know i see the problem i go to the problem i punch the problem problem solved you know and i do that morally but it's it's the power to act morally in all situations is kind of the fantasy of Superman. Um, and you can understand where that comes from. You know, the guys who invented him were Jewish guys in, in, a, in, a, in a society that was anti-Semitic, you know, and the rise of fascism around them. You can totally get where that's coming from. In the some doctor- of the early strips, the Superman literally like beats up like slumlords. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The Doctor is much more... You know, as you say, he's much more think around things. And a lot of the time, especially in the early show, the Doctor isn't even really about solving things or trying to solve things. He just wants to see. He just wants to go there and have a look. And his presence sort of catalyzes things and helps things to change and get better. You know, he's like a force of historical progress. Um, But one of the most interesting things in Superman, I think, is when Superman kind of has to think his way around a problem. He can't just go and punch it, you know, like... I, I can't, it might even be Superman three where this happens. There's like a fire in one of the mil, in one of the movies. There's like a fire in a nuclear power station <laughs> or something, and that's where he gets the acid at the end of the movie. Yeah, he and he, what, he, what he does is he breathes on a lake and freezes a lake, and then he carries the frozen lake through the air, and it melts on top of the nu- nuclear power station and puts the fire out. That is fucking brilliant, you know. That's a doctorish moment, yeah. except that the doctor would have to use his sonic screwdriver and a gravity machine or something like that. Superman can just do it with his breath and carry it. I don't know where I was going with that, but yeah, I can I... see the outlines of a story where they they they, they their, their approaches come into conflict. Conflict, you know, maybe both of them meaning well and trying to do the right thing, but their approaches are just so different. And then maybe they learn from each other. And yeah, I, I can see that. I'll tell well, you, Doctor even, v Superman is way more interesting than Batman v Superman for me. <laughs> well, and if you could get into the the meta storyline of just, you know, being a superhero is not kind of feasible in real life because of X, Y, and Z reality circumstances. You know, what would really happen if Superman legit could freeze a lake and drop it on a power plant? Um, you know, what about the fish? I don't know. Yeah. It, there was an endangered species in that lake. <laughs> oh, poor Bubblers. Superman. He, can, he can't win, can he? <laughs> it turns out the EPA was the real villain all along. <laughs> like in Ghostbusters. <laughs> like in Ghostbusters. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I don't know where we're going. <laughs> I, I, Christopher Reeve, dogs and cats living together, total hysteria. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's true. Lex Luthor has no dick. Um, (laughs) i mean how how much is this like a superman story you know because it 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 gave me the impression of being very it reminded me of time heist 
you know, because one of the things about Time Heist is that Time Heist kind of has this, it's not even an episode I dislike particularly, but it's it has this surface thing of looking like a heist movie. But it's incredibly superficial. And the moment you the moment you look at it beyond sort of moments here and there, it doesn't even really look much like the genre it's parodying or copying. Exactly. I mean this I think that this episode, if you actually paying attention and watching it, it feels I don't know, it just feels like Moffat. <laughs> it, <laughs> it feels it, far far more like a standard Moffat than it feels like a Superman film. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I mean, a lot of the some of it is shot very. Uh, I mean, you know, it's got it's got that little bit of a comic booky opening, um, you know, with the steam sure. coming out yeah. of the rates and that. You know, I, w- I was kind of admiring just the look of some of it, and it does have that kind of cotton candy superhero movie kind of look. I mean, I, again, I can imagine a sort of like like file the serial numbers off of this and have it be you know some alien being who uh, creates a superhero. I can I can see this as a you know sort of a ninety minute like kind of riff off of the superhero genre. Uh, it just doesn't really quite make sense as Doctor Who and it there's just there's there's kind of no meat here. There's just nothing to to dig ourselves into. I just I feel like it's um you know I, and I, I you know I I was kind of saying privately I think this is like my third favorite uh, Doctor Christmas special um because I really don't like basically any of them. <laughs> I, I don't know, it's just it it passed through me. It's perfectly fine. There's it's just, so there's just no meat here. You make it's it sound so like bland, right? It, it feels. I mean, that's how time heist. I mean, you you said time heist, and I'm kind of nodding. Like, yeah, it's exactly like that because it doesn't do anything like what it's trying to do. It it's just sort of taking on the furniture of this genre, and I've completely forgotten it existed ten minutes after it ends. Yeah. And apparently, I fall asleep upon rewatching <laughs> every time. Every time. I just, I, it is so bland. I would feel like a mean person if I hated on it too much more. Cause it's just, I mean, there's just, you know, it's already bland. Mm. What worse can you be than bland? Well, there's nothing worse for Doctor Who than just being bland. That's, yeah. that's death to Doctor Who, I think. The whole point of Doctor Who is to do something that nobody else is doing you know to show the audience something that they don't see anywhere else that's the whole point of it if it's not doing that then it might as well not be on the telly you know yeah it doesn't even have to be anything particularly big and important and thoughtful and and weird or anything just something you know there needs to be a reason to watch doctor who specifically and the reason needs to be oh yeah doctor who's the show where you see something you see something you're not expecting you see something different you see something that you don't get if you watch you know ncis Exactly. Uh, NCIS is like American cheese slices. <laughs> like, I love I love the qualifier slices. That was great. Because American no, cheese worked no. fine and then you add slices no, on no, the no, no. That's there's, genius. There's there's a there's a, there's actually a hidden meaning here that I'm not sure even Shana realizes. That American <laughs> cheese slices aren't actual cheese. Legally, if you buy American cheese that you can't call it American cheese. Like on the label, it will actually say American slices because technically it's not cheese. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Like legally it's called, they're called American slices. Yeah. (laughs) I think you broke Jack. (laughs) That's it. I'm gone. (laughs) That is. (laughs) <laughs> and that's about the best metaphor for the return of Dr. Mysterio Boss. 
<laughs> they shouldn't have called this Doctor Who. They should have called it American. Slices. <laughs> slices of Who. <laughs> Doctor Slices. That's what they should have called it. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Doctor Velveeta. Can we go there? No. No. Slices. Uh. Next toy space man. Let's hope it's a little bit more like Brie. (laughs) Jack, do you have any other thoughts about this story? Uh. What did you think of the villains? What do you think of the uh, the the alien mind melding? I've already forgotten them. It's what is it like brains that get? I don't know. I mean, brains with eyeball balls at one point, but you really have to look up from what you're doing. To actually see it happen. Um, yeah, do, you don't actually see the, the brain sort of crawl into somebody's head at any point, do you? No. No, no. no it's well, that, they, just, they just open their skulls, which seems like the least efficient way to store a gun possible. Oh my yeah. god, but yeah. And then you can just hang out with your skull open after you've gotten the gun out of it. Because now it's just like a jelly containment field that is... <laughs> <laughs> I, I do I do think some of these costume designs and some of these makeups are just like okay cosplayer your move yeah, yeah. Like, why, why is the, the why does the head the hinge that that the head opens on why is it at a slant right across the front I mean that's what that seems that seems woefully inefficient really it does because it's just, pretty yeah it's just there to provide a you know an image that's supposedly you know, a bit grotesque or a bit gothic, but it's you know, well, it's you know, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a, a gothic slice, as, as you're saying. You know, it's it's processed and artificial. It's, it's got no charge left to it. You know, because Moffat does this sort of thing all the time. You know, what what are the monsters this time? They need to be you know a load of things that all look the same and have some special you know physical trait that's a bit weird. Well, we'll do this this time. You know, and that's that's it. That's it. You know, occasionally it works, like the guy with half his face missing in the in, in deep breath. Deep you breath, know, that's yep. quite good. But it's the same sort of thing, and it's the fourteenth, fifteenth time he's done it. You know, right? Yeah. I mean, I feel like there is a sense of like, well, it's a cool design, and it, it's sort of. I mean, it, there's an eye candy element to it, and but the like. There's a lot. The there's so much no. that is is immediately thrown away. Like, the, you have one character with blue junk dripping out his nose. If that was going to be something that returned and, like, everybody had blue junk dripping down their nose, then it at least becomes interesting within the episode, but it happens, like, once. Mm-hmm. And then the next time... So, I, like, the, the villains don't really hold together as something for me. Uh, they just kind of end up being, like the villain. I know that they're the bad guys. There's the black guy and the guy with the kind of funny accent. Of course they're the bad guys in the superhero movie. Um, mm. It's the I'm, rich guy and the guy with the funny accent. Yeah. yeah. The German at that. <laughs> yeah, which, you know, I see the reference there, but could we not could we not interrogate that a bit? Do we? Yeah. Yeah, I know? mean, we could talk about you know, corporatism taking, you know, but who cares? Like, this is just go watch Aliens of London. It was done better. It's just so easy. You know, you can you can look at this in, in literal terms and it's, you know, what is it? It's like it's in a big corporate building and the, the guys that run the corporation, you know, and are, are swapping evil brains for normal brains and they're taking your brain out. And Yeah, okay. I mean, is this a, is there any charge left to this at all? Any sort of metaphorical you know spark there at all i mean yeah if you if you want to if you if you want to read it that way you can look at it as sort of a bit anti-corporate but you know so what 
Yeah. You know, in in this context, what does it mean to be a bit anti-corporate? You know, in the in the in the context of something that is so completely bland and so completely integrated into the mainstream. You know, there's a bit where somebody sort of half says, "Oh, you know, corporations." Ooh, you know, and you know, so what? Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a I'm cliche honest. now, isn't it? The evil corporation. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't have any sort of political charge to it anymore. Corporate. Oh, we don't like corporations. Well, okay, and and nothing. That's it. You know. I'm honestly astounded that we have talked as long as we have about it. But I mean, part of it is kind of circling back we, we, on that we there's not much here. We haven't really talked about it for as long as no. we've, we've been avoiding. We've spent more time talking about Superman 3, quite honestly. Yeah, but I mean, like, that's... Which is it, as it should be. That's kind of the point, is like, the point, the way to talk about this is to say, well, it's referring referring to all of these things, but to what purpose? Mm. Um, I, if you're going to have this many, this kind of really referential tone, again, it's like if you're going to come back, if you're going to do your spin, your version of whatever uh, the story may be, what of what in, in your version is going to stand out and make it you? Well, in Moffat's, whenever Moffat decides to put his spin on something, it tends to be kind of bland, kind of sexist kind of hedging on romantic storylines and you know all the things that i've come to expect and yeah they're those are all there big surprise this is it it's referring to a particular kind of of classic story that's fondly remembered and it's sort of saying oh look we're doing something a bit like this thing that you remember it was cute wasn't it so are we um but it's doing that without interrogating the stuff it's referring to and it's doing it its affection for it is kind of fake because it clearly doesn't understand what was good about the stuff that it's ostensibly being affectionate towards. Like I can't really speak to the first two Reeve Superman films because I don't remember them terribly well, but the third one I know. And the third one, as much as I acknowledge that it is a bad, bad film, you know, we've talked a couple of times in this episode about things in that, that are actually, you know, better, more intelligent, more mm-hmm. thoughtful than anything in the Return of Doctor Mysterio, which is kind of nudging you in the ribs and saying, "Oh, we're a bit like an old Superman film, isn't that fun?" And yet, you look back at one of those actual old Superman films, and it's actually it's actually smarter than this. You know, yeah. so what's the point? What's the point in exactly? And its condescension is kind of unearned and a bit pompous, you know, and. and <laughs> It doesn't... Earned and pompous condescension? How else can you describe Moffat today? Well, <laughs> um, and, and as I was saying, it, it, kind of, it doesn't even understand the, the way it works formally. It's not just that it, it misses loads of stuff about the content that was better. Like Time Heist, it doesn't really seem to understand the, the technical form uh, that, it's, mm-hmm. that, it's, that it's mimicking, you know? Um, and what you end up with instead is sort of the classic, you know, yet another reiteration of the classic Moffat plot about the nice guy who, you know, earns the girl through being steadfast for years and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And being you know? obsessive and creepy. And creepy and stalky. Yeah. Like that's romantic. Again, we so see this. romantic. Yeah. So they gross. didn't. They didn't even, there's not even a, a sense of like, if we're going to do the sort of romantic comedy with Superman, you could at least reference the Man of Steel, Woman of Kleenex essay by Larry Niven. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> I will, uh, I will say any um, any Doctor Who story that uses the word glazier, I'm I'm just gonna uh, you know enjoy a little bit more, uh, just because I like the word. 
Um, oh, and okay. uh, Fair enough. Yeah. Any, any any Doctor Who story where uh, the Doctor eats sushi? Well, he brings a snack to a to a uh, to a heist. Like that's always that's always a fun moment, right? You know. Like they're, they're I was kind of pissed. Yeah. I was like, why is he eating sushi standing up like that? And if he is, why is he not eating a hand roll? Bitch, please. <laughs> why isn't he eating an American cheese slice? That's what I want to know. <laughs> American <laughs> he does, slice. He, he does. He does. So I, I like to think like he gets sushi from some nice place in New York, which I assume has some fairly nice sushi places, and then grabs a cheeseburger for later. <laughs> he eats... The sushi, and then gives the cheeseburger to uh, okay. the, the bad guys. I, I, I like the idea of the doctor being the kind of guy who says, "Oh yeah, I know a good sushi place on whatever avenue," you know, because he always gets his sushi there every times in every time he's in New York. Yeah, there's something appealing about that. Yeah, I must. Admit. Yeah, yeah, agreed. I like that that little uh, side story that you wrote in your head while watching the episode. <laughs> I agree, Daniel. Uh, <laughs> no, that was Jack, but okay. No, I. I uh I, I just kind of sort of love the idea that just we're just sitting here riffing and coming up with the idea of like the doctor going to a sushi place and like having a favorite sushi place, which is actually more interesting yeah. than anything in the Return of Doctor Mysterio, yeah. which just literally has a Superman metaphor built right into it. Well, I said this about Knock Knock. Um, I would literally have preferred to watch an episode that was just forty-five minutes of Bill getting to know her new housemates. Yeah. I really would, because I like Bill. I, I really like the actress. I think Pearl Mackey's very good. Oh, I um, love her. Uh, I like the character. At least I like her when they're remembering to actually write her as a character, which right. has only happened in a couple of episodes so far. But when they do that, I like the character. And, you know, we didn't really get much characterization of the housemates in Knock Knock, but it no. could have been done. You know, I, I would much rather have watched a 45-minute episode of just her getting to know those people. Yeah, and I mean, I didn't have that much of an issue. I we haven't really gotten to sit and talk about all of them yet. Um, I am just so pleasantly surprised that I'm I'm not hating it as much as before. I'm like giving lots of things passes right now, mm. um, and part of it is because you know this Christmas special was just pretty awful. Uh, and I was like, well, I'm not expecting anything good to happen with Bill. And uh, you know, they there's been good, so I'm I'm pleasantly surprised that I'm not just offended constantly. Mm. Yeah, what are, what are we five episodes in, and there's you know to series ten, and there's two that I genuinely like. You know, I'm not mad about them, but I genuinely like them, and the others are kind of one's just boring, and the other two are inoffensive. You know, that's pretty good going, you know? right? <laughs> I I am I have been very happy. With just pleased, my my pleased, kind of dispassionate watching experience of Doctor Who of being like, oh, that's nice. And then yeah. afterwards, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm not like a- actively angry and yelling at the TV. Mm. Um, yay, Doctor Who is is uh, palatable again. <laughs> and what a what a I mean, you know, that's the definition of damning with faint praise, isn't it? It's yeah. palatable. <laughs> Oh, God. Well, I think I think as much as I've liked series eight and nine, and as much as series ten, I don't, I'm I'm about where where Jack is in terms of there are two of them that I can that I quite like. I think I might like uh, one of those more than Jack did, but uh, and then three that are kind of eh, and then one or two that's eh, and one that's like why does this exist? Um, which is the one that I recorded the Rudatorum Press <laughs> uh, <laughs> podcast for. So you know, yeah. Anyway. 
Um, as much as much as I, I, I do kind of like that, I, I'm just going to posit that Moffat should have left on the on these sort of like uh, the high point for him, which was the end of Series 7, the 50th anniversary. He, he should have just left right then. And I think that we're just going to I, I don't think we're going to see anything. And I'm putting I'm putting this out here now before the end of Series 10. I don't think we're going to get anything at the end that isn't just basically warmed over stuff that we've seen before. I think he's just out of gas. And I think that's what the return yeah. to Mysterio is. He's yeah. just he's yeah. he's tired of it. He doesn't want to be doing this anymore. Yeah. And I, you know, for me it's just like, yeah, I don't want you to be doing it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, and Why I'm at the point where this year, you know, like, I, I think that we are seeing con- creative control kind of taken back away from him. Uh and like I, I just kind of see it as a waxing and waning thing, honestly. It's like we we have passed the height of Moffat. I would have rather he left. He's still around. Things aren't great, but they're improving. Um, I think Phil kind of made it sound like uh, this is Moffat uh, trying to prove that he still does have it in him. No, I think this is them slowly resting the control of the show from Moffat's cold, you know, fucking claw-like hands. Um, I think they're just kind of giving Moffat uh, jello at this point. It's sort of. I, I'm going to tread a middle path, and I'm going to say I think Moffat sort of would have been quite happy to leave after the um, the husbands of River Song, you know, and he was just felt the felt the necessity to stay on to bridge the gap until Chibnall takes over, and he's really he's trying. I mean, he's obviously trying. I mean, the pilot there's effort in the pilot. Yeah, you know. He's well, definitely trying in the pilot, but even so, I, th- I think I agree with Daniel that he's just he's he's burned out. He's done what he can do, and he's he's done what he can do, you know, at least five times. You and know. I think um, I I always prefer him when he is not the dominant voice in the story. Yeah. So if if I'm kind of liking stuff again now, it, I'm not giving it. I'm not giving Moffat credit. I'm sitting here saying, oh, as Moffat is slowly starting to leave, they're trying to get some life back into the show i don't know if they're gonna do it quickly enough and i think there's still enough moffat in here that like this whatever this you know uh bookend narrative and the doctor's blindness you know talk to me in a few days and we'll see how charitable i still feel because i'm my hopes are not high uh i'm holding on to my shreds of like bill i'm cute look at bill queer cute no something's gonna go badly i know it but i'm I'm gonna be happy right now with um faint praise i'm i'm guessing you know as as much as the characterization of bill you know as as a a gay woman so far has been well you know to the extent that it's been done it's been done okay um you know it's not like clara where she would just occasionally sort of say oh yeah i snogged jane austen and everybody's like oh moffat you know brilliant bisexual you know awareness there you know it's so fucking cynical it's not like that it's better than that um but even so i'm guessing we're gonna see at least more one at least one more moffat penned episode where basically the universe is saved by the you know the the triumph of heterosexual romance you know as indeed it is at the end of dr mysterio yeah because that's an old moffat standard that i'm sure you know he's you know if if he's coasting and bringing out the old standards to you know to get him through that's that one's gonna come back so oh yeah and everybody falls in love yeah with somebody of the opposite sex Yes, true. Yeah, we got to specify that, you know. Adamantly so. We we like we like gay people, but they don't save the universe with their loving heterosexual love, <laughs> or their loving not heterosexual love. 
well, this is it. They can't because they. Yeah. Can. We like them, but they can't save the universe. No, they yeah, just well. have to be quirky and watch people die. Yeah. All queer queer people don't know love. Queer people don't know love. There is no, no love. They do, except for when it dies. Well, it's they, they know love. It's just not powerful enough to make babies, and you know. It's only powerful enough to oh. die. <laughs> It's not generative, and therefore exactly. it can't save the universe. Yeah. That's yeah. oh, that's deep. Right. It has to be motherhood, or you know, having a baby. That's what. That's what you does have to want a family. Yeah, as as we saw in you know about fourteen different Moffat episodes. <sighs> and show any any further thoughts? I feel like I feel like I had other stuff I might have been able to prep for this, but uh, why why bother at this point? Yeah. Um, Jack, any 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 other thoughts? Anything that we did not bring up, or do you just want to sit and bullshit about things for another twenty minutes? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm fine with that too. I'm 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 happy enough to leave it there about Doctor Mysterio. I'm happy enough to keep talking if you want to. I mean, we talked a little bit about the blindness subplot in Series Ten before we started the show proper. I think that's quite interesting. Um, I don't know. I think Shana probably got into this with Phil. Yeah. Um, but you know, one thing that Sh- Shana was saying before we got started was that it's not going to end well. And I think that's definitely true because there's really only, yes, as Shana said, there's really only two ways it can go, which is that either, you know, he gets his sight back in which case everything's all right. Again, the implication being that, you know, being blind, just that's the end, you know, and there's no mm-hmm. future. And the only way you can ever have, ever have a future is if you get your sight back or he becomes like daredevil, you know, so blessed with compensatory superpowers that he's not really effectively blind anymore. Well, and it's also like, here, let me give diversity to this show by giving a character a disability instead of just having a disabled character, because God forbid they can't really stand alone on their own, can they? Yeah. Uh, Being blind has to be this huge obstacle that clearly we know he's going to overcome, because being blind means you're much less of a person and much less interesting. Um... And we're going to focus on the blind part of it probably way more than the fact that he's going to choose to lie to Bill about it. I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. Uh, yeah. But Why yeah, is he no. lying to Bill? Yeah. I mean, I just hate that. What? I hate it when the Doctor lies to his companion. You know, I just don't understand it. It doesn't make sense with any of the Doctor's... Um, well, I think the Doctor would have learned about lying to his companions back in the Daleks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like you know, I every now and, and of again, of course, you got a fluid a, link reference. So you know, there's that. Every now and again, when there's a point to it, like the Doctor, you know, keeps things from Ace in some of the the last stories in the classic series. Like he keeps something from her in Ghostlight, and he keeps something from her in Curse of Fenric. And but there's a mm-hmm. point to that, a in plot terms, and b, you know, those that decision is not left uninterrogated. You know, he gets told off about it. Yeah. Um. And and the, the and the telling off means something. It has weight. You know, we're not. It's not just shrugged off. You know, and the show can still do that because it did it in um Thin Ice just now. Really mm-hmm. good scene where where Bill, you know challenges him and it's not that one or the other of them is right or anything it's a genuine sort of clash of perspectives that's quite you know it's that was a good scene the show can still yeah. do that but it won't do that with this well it? it'll just be the oh i was trying to protect you oh all right then that's okay you know well and it's there's a lot i'll never forget when the doctor was blind that'll be his last line <laughs> i there's been so much with I, I I talked in circles with this with Phil quite a bit, actually, because th- that whole episode could have been a much bigger metaphor to talk about healthcare and the price we put on people's lives and all that kind of thing. So to also have that episode then be essentially ending with the punchline, a punchline 
cliffhanger of I'm still blind. Uh, yeah. Which God love him. I, I do not understand that delivery from Capaldi. Um, I refuse to blame it on him because he's done his, his doctor has done some really interesting other things already with the blonde blind subplot too. But um, yeah, they, they have not created this in any way that I foresee it being anything but exploitative and mishandled and offensive. Mm-hmm. Um, but I haven't seen how yet. So I feel like I can't really speak to it until I see exactly how pissed off I'm going to be. <laughs> He, they're going to bring back the Lucy character. He's going to transfer the blindness to her, and then she'll be blind Ziva. Blind blonde Ziva. Yeah, no, that, that was a joke I was going sense. for. That was a pun. It's good. Yeah, I think Capaldi, at the end, he's just trying to make it work, you know, because it seems so out of character to me, that reaction. Like, yeah. from, from what I can gather about the 12th Doctor, and I'm famously on record as saying that I don't really know who he is. But you know, if if somebody, you know, again, I'm not a I'm not a professional writer. You know, these people know their jobs better than I do, probably. But if somebody gave me the job of writing, the twelfth Doctor loses his sight. My instinct would be for him to just kind of almost not notice. Oh, what you mean? You don't see disabilities as horrible life-ending things, and that disabled people are perhaps um, not somehow lesser in value to you. And that you see it as perhaps a normal part of life. I mean, it's the entire setup to how he has lost his vision. Yes, I, I agree that that I'm already kind of we have one introduction of him being blind. That makes total sense for the doctor. He's frustrated, but everybody has immediately acclimates. He makes jokes about it and they move on. Hmm. They had a perfectly fine introduction and they immediately undercut it. So already, I'm just hopeless for where they're going with it. I would have, I would have been perfectly fine with that if it had, if they had just sort of corrected it. Like, oh, we have medical technology. This is going to be, you know, I, I'm, I'm really curious to see where they're going with it in the next episode. I just don't have I, high hopes. I don't have high hopes for it. I, I'm kind of hoping they have something interesting to do with it, but it might just be Amy's baby all over again. Hmm. I, I mean, it's there is no way it. it for me, if you were going to have any kind of real representation of someone with a disability, with somebody with some kind of limitation, and that is a reason to write in blindness as part of a plot, other than, hey, this is just something funny to happen. Um, it, there, So much of that is going to be about perspective change. And, you know, it. I just... I don't believe the doctor is going to be blind forever. I don't believe that he is going to be blind long enough for us to, uh, as you've been saying, Jack, really interrogate um, how this changes him as a person, um, how it possibly creates new meaning in his relationships with those around him. It hints at it in this episode and it already undercuts it by the end by him choosing to suddenly or apparently lie about ever getting his vision back. I, I just don't understand where they're going with it. it. Doesn't give me high hopes. No, no. It'd be it'd be nice to be able to you know expect something good from it, but uh, yeah, yeah, it's hard to expect that. Yeah. Well, but you never know. Is, they might this, surprise us. They might surprise us. This is definitely a topic we're going to come back to because we will cover these episodes yeah. down the line yeah. just a little bit. Um, I do have one more thought about the return of Doctor Mysterio before mm-hmm. we uh, before we wrap up here. Mm-hmm. 
It is. It is. I don't. I don't know what it is. What the difference is between Amy and Clara and Nardal. I'm not sure what the difference between the three of them is. But one of these characters gets to go on adventures on their own in the TARDIS and can fly it completely without assistance. I, I mean, I don't know. It seems like there's got to be some distinction between them, right? That allows that to happen. <laughs> oh, it's because Nardal's from the future. I mean, clearly, that's got to be it, right? That's yeah. the only thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, that's a, that's the reason. I. It, honestly, it doesn't bother me as much because I'm just still kind of confused why Nardal has stuck around. I did not think he was going to stick around after the Christmas special, and he's just still kind of there. He's growing on me for sheer fact that he's still there. But as a character, I'm kind of like playing Tumblr, stoner, midnight games of like, maybe Nardal doesn't exist, man. Maybe he's just the Doctor's imaginary friend. Maybe he's just there in the Doctor's mind. Maybe maybe he's the return of chameleon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, same difference, right? I think part of the problem, I mean, he's growing on me a bit as well because he had something to do in in oxygen, you know, and he's yeah. there are moments when he's quite interesting in his reactions to other people, you know, that he's he's operating in this midway zone between the doctor and bill where he's obviously not as clued up as the doctor, but he's he he knows he knows more. He's got more insider knowledge, as it were, than Bill does. So there's this interesting three-way reaction, uh, interaction. Yeah, it's it, it's okay. But part of the problem, of course, is the insistence upon the mystery series arc. You know, yeah. we we have to have this vault, and we have to have this mystery, quote unquote, mystery about what's inside it and why the Doctor's guarding it, and so on. And Nardole is a part of that in that he's kind of there to enforce the doctor's presence to guard the vault so there's a there's a vital part of nardole's whole personality in this series that we're just not being told about you know so it's very hard to get a handle on this character because there's something absolutely central to his worldview his his values what he wants what he needs what he's there to do his main you know in, his main priority it, we're just not being told what it is so th- there's a fundamental problem there with the drama and the characterization, which stems from this insistence upon having the, as I say, the quote unquote mystery story arc that really, you know, I, I just don't find stuff like that interesting. You know, what's in the vault? Who, you know, who cares? It'll be one thing or the other, you know, right. <laughs> I think it's Gwyneth Paltrow's head. <laughs> we can hope we can hope. What a yeah. <laughs> I, I just, I mean, I, I don't care. I don't no. care. I I forget. It's one of those things that I almost forget to watch. I I'm like, okay, this part of the story is over. Oh, they're t- they have some more little bit with this vault shit. Oh, okay, yeah. I guess I should watch it. Yeah, and and again, we've seen this before. You know, Moffat's done the what's in the box thing at least twice before mm-hmm. now. You know, and going on past form, of course, it's usually the Doctor that's in the box. Um, and then, of course, in the second episode, in the what's in the box story, it'll be something else because that's what he does. He builds up and builds up and builds up, and then he puts the Doctor in the box, and then in the next bit, it's somebody else in the box. He's done that twice now, so that's probably what it'll be this time again. <laughs> Some variation on that, anyway. He might switch oh. it around a bit so that it's somebody else and then the Doctor or something, you know. But at the end of the day, who cares? This isn't interesting to me, right? You know. Well, so I mean, it's very it's, difficult it's to puzzle. care about Nardole because Nardole is totally tied up with that, with information that we that we don't have yet. Right. And it won't I, even th- be particularly interesting information when it arrives, will it? No. Yeah. 
I think for me there is the uh, the additional frustration, which is I just don't think the doctor should have servants. It's yeah. just a thing for yeah. me. I yeah. feel like it's just totally alien to who I think the doctor should be. I and I really like the idea of the doctor kind of being a, a a don in a university and having college rooms. I think that's cute. <laughs> I love that. Oh the yeah, no, 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 that's him, great. The idea of him, you know, because he's like. Um, Professor Cronotus in the in the Dirk Gently book, or uh, Professor Trefusis in the in the Stephen Fry book, The Liar. I don't know if you've read that. It, I I love the Doctor sort of being in that role. That's lovely. But uh, you know, Nardole, as you say, he's kind of like a college servant. Um, and they are switching it up a bit, aren't they? Because Nardole is kind of, in some ways, he's almost in charge of the Doctor, like his supervisor or his boss or something. But yeah, there is something a bit unsavory about him going around and calling him Sir and stuff like that. I hate that. Yeah. Like if I was writing the Doctor and somebody called him Sir, I'd have him sort of go, don't call me that, you know. Yeah. I, I mean, I think we're both coming from a point of view where the the Doctor would never be okay with that kind of authority. He's very anti-authoritarian, and we see that in this administrative setting, whereas I think part of the reason that I don't really even take it that seriously, I'm like, oh, clearly this is college's fantasy is this in this setting, because this is not somebody who's ever taught college or been in an academic setting version <laughs> of what an actual lecture or academic life is like. This is very no. much... I'm the doctor, and I go in and into a class that is expecting crop rotation. I talk about dying in space. Um, and I'm totally okay with that. I love that version of college. It's the reason that I wanted to grow up and go to college. Yeah. Uh, but, you know. <laughs> it's the doctor giving the ultimate TED Talk every week. That's essentially what it is. Yeah. yeah. And, that's, well, like, and that's what's just like, uh, for me. Like, yeah. oh, yeah. Yeah. The, the way that... Gliding over things. the fact that you know universities and colleges these days are almost like you know corporations. Oh, they are. Um, yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, you you well, can't expect everything about... to face up to the hard economic realities of late capitalism. You know, I'm quite happy for it to be a fantasy version of a, of a gorgeous university with you know right. wood panelled college rooms and everything. It's it's quite nice. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. We'll, we'll, again, we're we're going to come back to this in a little bit. More. Jeez, um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like we're ready to wrap up. Shayna, any final thoughts? No, no. I I know that at the end of the Christmas special, I was just really ready um, to talk about Bill, um, and so I look forward, hopefully, to podcasting about that soon. Yeah, we'll get to that in a week or two. It'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> We'll probably do the first four. Uh, it episode. doesn't matter. We'll see. It'll be fine. Of course, Shana will not be. Shana will talk about all of them. It's, it's just going to be what's going to happen. But mm-hmm. you know, we're going to try to just do a few of them. Uh, Jack, uh, any final thoughts about anything um, before we wrap up here? No, not really. <laughs> I've seen worse. There, that's yeah. the best I can do, really. Would you rather watch this again or watch Superman three? I, guess I am going. Best. I'm going to watch Superman three you know, at least, you know, tomorrow. It's too late for me to watch it now, but I want to. I'm going to put it on tomorrow. Awesome. I will, I will, I will never watch this again, frankly. Yeah, I th- I, I've tried to watch this, and can't, apparently I just can't watch this again. Yeah. This I'm going to go... just... Sorry, go on. Oh, I was just going to say, I'm going to go back to watching Tank Girl on repeat. Mm. <laughs> this uh... will go into the large pile of, you know, Doctor Who from recent years that I've watched once and will never, ever see again, I'm afraid. Yeah. Whereas, you know, I, I watch the Space Museum like every week. So. 
The Space Museum will be the first one we do after we finish Series 10. Oh, God, the Space Museum is so fucking good. I love it. Yeah, I'm. So I'm <laughs> what what this one really needed was uh, Blonde Ziva just uh, kind of standing up in the middle of a bunch of these like pasty white guys, raising her fist and saying, Revolution! Revolution! Amen, motherfucker! <laughs> because, spoilers for Shayna, Vicky does that in the Space Museum. Yes! Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Vicky, Vicky, or bring me while, dad. While flirting with three mods. Yes. Of course. <laughs> because it's Vicky. It's time for classic who. Vicky is the greatest. Vicky is my spirit animal. <laughs> Patronus. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> well, spirit animal is appropriative, but I mean, you can't really ask Jack to do anything J.K. Rowling inspired at this point. Either. This is it. This is the real horns of a dilemma. From, you know, corporation <laughs> or J.K. Rowling. Just, you know. No, let's go for uh, what is it? What is it in uh, Pullman's trilogy? Um, oh yeah, the familiar, da- the demon. Familiar. The demon, yes. Demon. Yeah. Vicky, Vicky, Vicky is, is my, my demon. Damon, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm along with that. Yeah, let's do it. All right, that's it, guys. Anybody that listened to the end, congratulations. This was very. <laughs> I didn't even listen to the end. <laughs> Cheers. Goodbye. And with that, the TARDIS is closed.